But when you see someone actually go out and, and, and change their actions or even create their own project based off of your presentation, it just takes it to a whole new level. Podcast, what is really good? Thank you so much for being here. This is the RJB Audio Experience. I am your host, Robert John Boyle, and today I am joined by Sam Demma. Sam is someone I have admired from afar on LinkedIn. He is a professional youth speaker. He's spoken on the TEDx stage twice. He is also the co-founder of Pick Waste. He is a former elite soccer player, which is another reason why I was very, very interested in his story and we really got into it. We really got into the weeds of this one. This is probably, you know, I say every conversation is my favorite, but this was a really, really fun conversation. And Sam is someone I think I'm going to have a professional relationship with um, for quite some time because I also aspire to be a professional speaker, not necessarily for youth and high schools like Sam does, but I definitely see myself on stages traveling around the world like he does. Um, For you, why should you listen to this podcast. Number one, because we talk about what it takes to be consistent. Consistency is something that a lot of people talk about. You hear it a lot in the self-help world, but what does it actually take to be consistent? How do you do that, especially if it doesn't come natural to you? Number two, um, this one is specifically for young people. What to do when people tell you you're too young to do something or how should you interpret it when people tell you you're too young to do something and number three how to filter good and bad advice how to figure out what advice is worth taking and working into your framework or what advice is worth just kind of leaving it one in in one ear and letting it go out the other those are some of the things that we touch on a lot of value i think you can get out of this episode and let's get right into it i have nothing more to say my conversation with sam demma thank you so much for being here and i hope you enjoy <laughs> Hey, I just hit record. So Sam, where I'd like to start is, uh, tell me how good at soccer were you? <laughs> um, you're making me talk about myself now, bro. <laughs> I, uh, I was a good athlete growing up. I mean, um, I was definitely not the most talented compared to like my counterparts and my teammates, but I was probably the most hardworking. I mean, I would say so growing up, I was always taught that by my grandparents and my parents that if you want some me in life, just put your head down and work hard for it. Um, so I would be the one leaving practice late, showing up early. Uh, I sacrificed pretty much everything all throughout high school to pursue my dream of playing pro one day. So all the sacrifice and all the correct actions started to compound and made me into a, a pretty good soccer player, I would say. <laughs> so tell me for those, for those in the audience who don't know what it's like to play, you know, travel soccer, especially at the level you were competing at, I have a little bit of experience with this, you know, traveling through the Midwest, um, with my own team. Talk about like how much of a commitment, a time commitment it is to be on one of these soccer teams. Yeah, I would just say that, you know, when you're committed to anything, it takes a, a big chunk out of your life. But for what it looked like in, in, in my life going throughout high school and as a student, um, literally every single day you have about two hours of practice. Uh, there's no and if or buts when it's off season. You're also in the weight room. Sometimes you're doing two sessions a day, one in the weight room and then one two hour practice. Uh, there's a lot of driving involved. So for me, the team I played for, it was a really high level team and I had to travel to get to the games and the practices. It would take me about an hour to get there, an hour to get back. Then you factor in two hours of practice plus a workout in the morning in the weight room is like, it's like over six hours of a total commitment each day, um, depending on the day and what time of the season. And then when you have like road trips, you know, you're gone for four or five days in a row in a car with teammates and my parents take, had to take time off to, to bring me around and, and do these different things. Um, it was a, a huge commitment, but I loved it. I wouldn't have changed a thing. Uh, and to be honest with you, it's it's just all about like what you prioritize. For me, soccer was a big priority in my life at that time, so it got a lot of attention. Um, but uh, it's, it's a little different now. But yeah, it's definitely a huge, huge commitment. Talk to me about how your parents felt about this, because obviously they're sacrificing a lot of their own lives to be able to drive you around. And, and most parents that I come across, they really want their kids to be focused on college, especially once they get into high school. So how are your parents feeling about your dream to become a professional soccer player? Yeah, to be honest with you, I think my dad, like 
lived through me because growing up he wanted to be a professional hockey player um and he went pretty far but didn't end up making it um and so his miss out i guess on professional sports was to my advantage because when i started getting into sports he was super excited for me um and i could he could kind of like live his fantasy through my life so Parents, both of them, including my mom, were extremely supportive of my desire. It also helped that, you know, I had a really high academic average going throughout school. And in my mind, the reason was because if I have a really high average and I'm also an excellent athlete, I have a really great chance of getting a full ride scholarship to a university in the States. And so to be like uh, fair, I never actually sacrificed my academics for sports. I was just really hyper-focused on both of them at the same time. Um, which is again, back to the hardworking piece. Like I believe I really worked hard, uh, to give him my best shot, not only on the field, but also in the classroom. So very lucky to have a supportive, uh, family unit that, that was passionate about the dream as much as I was. So tell me, you know, you're doing well in soccer, you're doing well in school. Talk to me about your social life. Cause you know, from my perspective, I actually stopped playing, you know, competitive travel soccer in my junior year of high school. Cause I just, I wanted to go to parties, you know, like I wanted mm-hmm. to just out with more people. Talk to me about how you balanced or if you didn't, you know, your social life in high school. I didn't, bro. Um, one of my biggest regrets is not that I didn't go to parties, but it was that I always live my life in the future. And so for me, it was like, okay, what I'm doing right now, will it benefit me in five years? Will it get me to where I want to be in five years? And the that's great to have that thinking like once in a while on certain actions that you take that have big consequences. But if that's every single decision you make based on five years down the road, you miss out on the present moment, which is like the only moment that exists. And so for me, I literally had a group of like five or six friends. Uh, I was liked by everyone because I was a really respectful and nice guy, uh, but didn't go to parties, didn't drink, um, didn't get involved in anything um, else besides sports and academics. Didn't even join clubs at school because I thought, you know, it's taken away from time in the gym or time studying or time on the soccer field. Um, didn't have any serious relationships in terms of like, uh, like a girlfriend or anything all through high school. Uh, maybe one relationship, but it was very short. And the reason being it was kind of twofold. One, I didn't want to uh, give time to something that I didn't really love or find Uh, that it added to my life. So I waited to find a girl that I was really interested in. Um, And then two was because I thought that if I got into a relationship, I'd have to sacrifice so much in terms of soccer and school that uh, my dream wouldn't come true. (laughs) And so, yeah, huge lack of social life. Uh, Did a bunch of things that I I regret, like not going to a grad after party for a soccer practice. Um, Stupid stuff like that. So if I could go back, I would just make sure that I balance the two way better, but I can't go back. Uh, so I'm just, you know, learning along the way. I'm, I'm still 20 years old, so I, I'm not like, it's not like I totally missed the boat. Um, I'm still enjoying myself now and making sure I have a good balance moving forward. But yeah. So, you know, let's jump around a little bit. Talk to me about how you're taking that experience and, you know, wishing you would have balanced it a little bit more. How are you trying to find balance in what you're doing now? Yeah. So the reason why I didn't bounce much in high school is that I always, I always wanted more. I was always thinking about, you know, how can I be better? How can I be fitter, stronger, have better grades? And I always wanted more and I was never at peace with what I already had or who I already was. And so nowadays I'm still hungry. I'm very hungry uh, to grow and to have more and become more because for me, success isn't just about what you have, but it's who you are. Um, But at the same time, I live with a sense of peace, being content with what I have and who I already am. And for the, for me, like that perspective allows me to take a day off. It allows me to go have a drink with a friend. It allows me to go to a party. It allows me to, you know, explore relationships and different aspects of my life. Um, so I would say that's probably like the biggest mindset shift that helped me realize that, you know, life is in a rush and there's like tons of time and, you know, take the correct actions, but understand at the same time, you know, that you're content with what you already have and who you already are. Um, so Let's, that's like the biggest shift. Yeah. This, this idea of you have time, you're not in a rush, you can be content with where you are. You know, a lot of the people that I speak with and interact with are young like us and we're so ambitious. Like we want to prove things to the world and we want to do yeah. 
Like, how did you get to this point or how do you stay at this point where it's like, you know that you're going to be able to achieve all the things that you want to achieve, but just at your own pace, like not feeling like you have to rush to get there. Well, like I started to realize that the only person who created the timeline was me. You know, like I was the one who said, you know, by this day and this age, I want to have this, that or the other. And so, um, it's not exterior pressures. Like it's, it's, we define our lives. And for me, when I was in this state of always like, I need more, I want more, I need more, I want more. I would like, personally speaking, honestly, I was always stressed out. I would literally check my emails like 50 times a day, literally 50 times a day. I'd be sitting beside my phone. Five minutes later, did I get an email? Five minutes later, did I get an email? And uh, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And the, the, the craziest thing is, is that I haven't, I don't check my email that much anymore, but I'm still getting the same amount of business results. It's not like I needed to check my email every five minutes of the day. It's not like I need to be on my computer for six hours in the day. You do your work over a set period of time. Like um, Tim Ferriss says, like the four hour work week, set your blocks of time that you work, be fully present in your work. And when you're not working, don't work. Uh, Jim Rohn says it when you work, work, when you play, play and separate the two. So for me, I just defined what I wanted my life to be like. Um, and then just kind of like went from there. And a big like catalyst in, in this whole shift for me was actually a relationship. I have a girlfriend right now um, and we met about two months ago. Um, and it's the first like serious relationship I've, I've been in since birth, to be honest with you, because I didn't do much throughout high school. And uh, I found so much joy and pleasure and fulfillment through that relationship that I realized that like, you know, it's not just about like, like money, monetary success, or, or it's not just about the things you have. Uh, there's so much more things to life that make it like a, like a full picture. Um, and I'm just, I'm really enjoying exploring those other things while still remaining hungry. Tell me, were you, were you scared at all when that relationship began that you would become less ambitious in terms of pursuing your speaking career? Like whether, whether, was there any trepidation about what would occur? To be honest with you, no. And the only reason why is because I set standards straight up. Um, you know, I, I told this girl, her name's Nikki. I was like, look, like I, I'm doing this pretty much full time. I'm not in school right now. There's a ton of already pressure on me, not only by family, but that I put on myself to like make things happen. And uh, I, I can't stay up late. I can't, I, I can't do certain things. And I just need you to know upfront before we even embark on this journey that like, this is who I am and here's, this is what I do. And I can't sacrifice certain things. And uh, if you're cool with that, cool. If not, like I understand, uh, but like this probably is it probably won't work out. Um, and the thing is like most girls, bro, they'll respect a guy who has values and standards. Um, and she respected mine wholeheartedly. And in fact, like sometimes when I break them, uh, she'll be like, Hey Sam, like it's past your bedtime, like go to sleep. <laughs> so it's a, it's a cool thing when you find someone that like compliments your life. And it's not just about, you know, like the relationship, but it's, it's more like it adds to you and who you are and, and what you're doing. So I'm blessed uh, to have her in my life, but I didn't have, I, to be honest with you, I had doubts at first before I set the standards and saw how open she was to it. Uh, but now it's cool. Talk to me about setting those standards. Cause it sounds like, like you were very, very proactive in communicating like the, the type of relationship you wanted to have. And I feel yeah. like a lot of people, um, aren't at maybe they don't have the confidence maybe they don't have the self-esteem to be that open and honest with someone so early in a relationship because mm -hmm. they're scared that it might cripple before it even starts so talk to me about like why you felt confident enough to just be up front so early in the relationship yeah well like i feel like if you were to hide those things or not talk about them and then three months later just bring them up uh it, it might paint a totally different picture for the partner or the, the girl or the guy who you're with so for me, it was like, you're going to accept all of me or, or like none of me. Like I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want <clears throat> to change you at all. Um, and I wouldn't want you to try and change me either. Uh, like you got to find a partner that like fits with who you are as a person and what you're doing, um, before even taking the next step. So for me, it was like important to set the base, uh, so she knows what's up. And so that I also know what's up with what, what she does in her life so that we're both on the same page. Um, and also like, dude, like your goals, not, not necessarily your goals, but your purpose in life is such an important thing. Um, and I would even say like, it's a step ahead of certain relationships, um, like as, as a priority wise, because like, if you have no vision and no mission, um, one, like you're living an unfulfilled life, but two, it's, it's also like extremely unattractive from a, like a relationship perspective. Like 
what are you doing? Like, what do you want to do with your life? Like, you got to figure yourself out first before you can like add to someone else's life, you know? So like goals and, and my dreams and my vision and my purpose are like a big priority in my life. And I needed her to understand that up front. That makes a lot of sense. So before we go any further in the timeline, like we need to go back because we need to talk about how we transitioned from soccer to, to public speaking. So mm-hmm. talk to me, um, talk to me about the game where you tore your meniscus for the first time. Yeah, so this would have been after my official visit to Memphis University, a Division One school. They flew me down. I met the coaches, the team, and they sent me home saying, Sam, we really want to sign you as a player at our school next year, but on one condition. And the one condition was that they wanted to watch me play one last time before signing me as an athlete. And the one last time they were going to watch me play was 10 days after the official visit at this big tournament called the Disney Cup in Florida. It happens every single year. There's hundreds of coaches there. And five days before leaving for that trip, I was playing a friendly match with my team, which means it's just me versus my own teammates. And uh, just before halftime, I went shoulder to shoulder with this kid on my team who was about 200 pounds. His name was Zach. He's a beast. And after we bumped shoulders, I caught myself with my cleats in the turf. But like very quickly, I realized something felt extremely funny in my left knee. And for the next five minutes, I ran around the field with this clicking and grinding before deciding, you know, it's probably in my best interest and my health to get myself off the field. And I also want my team to win the game. So they should probably replace me with a healthy player. And so I knelt down, walked off the field. Uh, It sucked because my parents were at the game. The game ended. My knee was the size of a volleyball. I had to ask a teammate's parents to drive me home. And the whole 45 minutes, I just cried in the backseat, embarrassing myself in front of like people I didn't even know. It was like, one of those situations where you know you need to cry, but you really don't want to uh, because you're either in a public space or you think like you're going to embarrass yourself and it sucked. I got home, my parents were asleep, so I just crawled into bed the next morning, got up, got into her my parents' bedroom, immediately started crying again. My knee was swollen and uh, my mom seeing the pain in my eyes, she did what like any caring person in your life would do. She pulled out her phone, searched up every hospital and doctor she could find got me an appointment at a doctor's office, got me an MRI. Uh, and a day before leaving for my trip, he was sitting in his office, the doctor saying, Sam, I'm really sorry. It looks like you tore the meniscus in your left knee. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to play in this showcase. And furthermore, if you want to continue playing this sport, you're going to have to have a surgery. And so that was really like the first big breakdown that I had in my life. And that was at the age of 17 years old. And that would have been the yeah, the first knee injury in my career. So a couple things I want to touch on. Um, did it did it make it worse that your parents weren't at the game when you tore your meniscus? Yeah, it was like it was terrible because you know when you're in a dark hole or like a deep place, whether it's dark or not, um, you want a support system or you want people that you know uh, that you can talk to and and tell them how you're feeling and and just uh, comfort you. And for me, like. There was no one. It was just my friend and his dad, and I didn't really talk to either of them too much growing up, so I wasn't comfortable like explaining what happened. Um, and the drive home was 45 minutes, so I had to just kind of keep to myself and hold in my tears as much as I could and not make any noise. Well, like I didn't want to pout and stuff because it was embarrassing. Um, and when I got home, I didn't want to wake them up because it was past 11 p.m., so I just waited till the next morning, but... Yeah, it definitely sucked to answer your question. And tell me about, you know, I imagine this was your first surgery. Like, did you have any fear or trepidation about actually going through and taking a, you know, a serious surgery? It's a little bit scary. Um, I'm not really, I'm not like nauseous or nervous. I don't get like, a, I don't get any type of sickness before doing like surgery or anything like that. Um I wasn't too scared because the doctor was a renowned knee specialist and he works on the Blue Jays and all these other athletes. Um, I was more so scared of whether or not it would heal correctly after the surgery was done and if I could continue playing the sport. Um, Because after you do something, you know, in your knee or in any joint, you know, it's never the same, right? So that was my biggest fear. And so walk us forward. What happens after the surgery? I get back on the field. Four months later, I'm fully recovered. Memphis is calling me again, Sam, come back. We want to see you play next year. Everything's going to be fine. Just keep your grades up and uh, things will look promising for you. Um, I was playing 90-minute games again. 
six months post the first surgery, I was in another match uh, that took me right back to square one. I was, uh, I'm a midfielder. So my, my role and responsibility oftentimes is to turn with the ball, take it from the defense and pass it forward to my, my offensive players on my team. And I forgot to check my shoulder on this one turn. And when I turn this guy slide tackle me right into my left ankle. Uh, and I've been slide tackled like hundreds of times. It's nothing new in the sport of soccer. And so I stood up and I took two steps. And after taking the two steps, I just realized like, it's the exact same pain that I felt in my left knee six months earlier. And I didn't take a knee this time. I just walked myself off the field, got into the car and uh, basically called my parents. And then history repeated itself back in Dr. Jason Smith's office, second MRI, second surgery. Uh, after the second surgery, I took a fifth year of high school to try and keep the dream alive. Took a co-op at a gym so I could train and work out in the morning before going to practice at night. And I thought if I did twice as much as every other kid on my team, like no one would be able to stop me. Like it just makes sense. I'm doing twice as much work. And uh, seven months into my fifth year, I woke up from bed one morning, stood off the bed, looked down towards my ankles and couldn't help but notice like my knee was swollen again a third time. And uh, it was actually the opposite knee this time, which made no sense because there was no tackle. There was no game. Uh, there was nothing. And uh, I ended up going back into Dr. Jason Smith's office a third time. And uh, he's like, I don't know what to tell you, kid. We're going to have to do one more surgery. And I stopped him and I said, you know what, doc? Like, I'm, I'm not going to do the surgery. And uh, that was the end of soccer Sam at the age of 18 years old. Why didn't you go through with the third surgery? So growing up, I also have a hip problem um, that needs a surgery. And I started to think about my future and what it would look like if I had all these operations and continue pushing my body past its limits, um, especially because I still need the, the hip surgery as well. It's an eight-month recovery. And for me, the, the possibility of being 30 or 40 years old and having a cane or not being able to walk and enjoy life and chase my kids and all this kind of stuff outweighed the pleasure of continuing to pursue this dream. And at the same time, I, uh, I wouldn't say I was losing passion for the sport, but I started to have a disgust for it because of all the stuff that I'd been through that it was like tough to watch soccer or go to soccer uh, throughout the whole experience. Um, and so I think I maybe even lost some of the passion after like the second surgery because I felt so beat down. Talk to me about how your relationship with your parents and their relationship to soccer evolved. Were they kind of in your ear saying maybe it's time for you to quit or would that something you can do on your own? Um, they would never force me or push me or tell me to do anything. Uh, I'm lucky in that respect. But after I stopped playing, uh, my mom especially was very happy uh, because she could see that I was going through a lot of like mental problems during the whole experience. And obviously as a mother, she doesn't want to see her son suffer. So my mom was like thankful a little bit that I decided to stop playing. Um, of course, both of them enjoyed growing up, watching me play, driving me around. Like they took great pleasure in that. And so I would say they were also a little bit like sad because they knew there'd be no more soccer games or soccer tournaments. Um, but in terms of like my mental health, like totally, totally supportive. So you're 20 years old right now. I imagine this is all kind of happening when you're 18. Um, talk to me about that transition period between you decided to quit soccer. I imagine you're thinking about maybe going to college. Like what, what happens next? Yeah. So I was lucky enough at the end of grade 12 to have a teacher who was very passionate about solving social problems after my second surgery, this would be. And, um, he basically made me realize that I could use my life to try and make a change and make an impact in the lives of other people. And the way he did it was by breaking down the lives of figures in history to teach us that, you know, although we're young, although we're students, we can all make a massive impact if we chose to commit to thousands of small, consistent actions. And he said that small, consistent actions was what all these other figures in history did to make an impact. And uh, if we wanted to be like them, all we have to do is take a small, consistent action. And so realizing that I couldn't play sports anymore, I decided to take my teacher's advice and kind of put it to the test. And so every day I would walk home from school asking myself, you know, as a student, what small action can I take to make a difference? And after about 14 days, I was walking home and I, I realized that there was like a ton of trash uh, on the sidewalk and uh, I always walk past it. So why not just pick it up? And so I started picking up trash 
um, until one of my buddies saw me four months later and he was like, Sam, what the heck are you doing? Like, why are you picking up garbage? And I explained to him this theory my teacher told me that a small, consistent action can make a massive change. My buddy Dylan loved it and he was like, Sam, why don't we do something with this? And so we created a volunteer organization called Pick Waste where we would meet up in the city and clean up for one hour once a week. And uh, we gained so much momentum in the first like two months of the summer of 2017 that we actually never stopped. And so since July 1st of 2017, we've completed over 130 cleanups, filled over 1,300 bags of trash. The initiative was featured all over national news. Um, we both delivered TEDx speeches about it. And, and now I travel across the country talking to thousands of students specifically about how they can use their gifts and talents to make a difference in the lives of other people. And uh, I'd say the biggest like transformation or transition happened after that class um, because Pickway started to grow a ton. Uh, I started to grow personally a ton and started reading a lot of books and, and getting involved in things that I really love doing. Um, additionally, I did end up going to school, but it was for all the wrong reasons. Everyone was telling me, Sam, you should be in school. You should be studying. Uh, you should be getting your degree done. When in reality, I really was like my mind was not in the classroom. I was really focused on speaking and, and getting around and sharing the story to impact students while I'm still young and almost the same age as them. And so I ended up going to school for two months, dropping out of university. And I would say just last March is when I decided to go full force into this speaking thing. And it's been super rewarding, a ton of fun. And uh, I wouldn't change anything. So, 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 so much to unpack here. Let's start with this. You know, prior to pick waste, it seemed like your life had been solely about getting good grades, but, you know, becoming a professional soccer player. Like it was very, very you focused. And then you transitioned to pick waste, which is very other focused. Like how can I use my gifts to help and change and benefit the world? Talk to me about that transition of perspective from like spending all of your time focused on your own goal to spending almost all of your time focused on something that's going to help others. Yeah. So, I mean, at first it was, it was more about just walking home, picking up trash to see if my teacher's idea was correct. Um, and that's pretty much all it was. That was like the base of the action, you know, see if I can make my community a better place. Um, the reason I came to that thinking and conclusion was because of my teacher's lessons in class. Um, and I, I ended up realizing that, you know, using your life to serve others, is probably the best life to live, but it also brings you the most joy and fulfillment. And so I would even take it as far as to say the work I'm doing now with all the speaking and helping students brings me more fulfillment than the actual playing of sports. And so it was a gradual change from focusing on myself to focusing on, on others. Um, but it's still a focus on the self because you have to realize that the, the better you become and the more you personally become, the more you can help others. And so it's this really nice balance where it goes back and forth. I need to work on myself so I can serve others better. I, I need to serve others better so I'll, I'll work on myself. Uh, it's like a cyclical thing. Um, but yeah, the big change came from the class. And, you know, after being breaking down from soccer, I realized that like, Things can change in my personal life so quickly, but if I have a vision and a mission that's focused on other people, um, I can keep that vision forever. Tell me, I'm, I imagine the transition from soccer and then you know taking this class more seriously and pick waste. Like, do you feel like you need something really dramatic or meaningful to be heading towards in order to kind of like feel good and feel content? It's a good question. Um, a lot of people always like say, you know, I want to be a speaker, but I don't have a story to share because like there's no dramatic event or thing going on. Um, I think that it helps definitely, um, but it doesn't have to be dramatic. All it has to be is like, it has to change your perception. It doesn't have to be something crazy. There's certain people who think like, you know, you have to go through some extreme trauma before you can, you know, do the thing you love or find the thing you love. I don't I don't think like that. Um just because I know people that I have in my personal life who haven't had extreme, extreme stories, but are very successful and love what they do. I definitely think it's, it's very important to have an aim about what you're trying to do um, and have goals uh, because like, if there's nothing that you're moving towards, you're just stagnant. You're not, you're not going anywhere. And for me, when I set like standards and goals and, and plan things out properly ahead of time, it, it keeps me accountable to the actions that I think I have to be taking and it also keeps me excited, you know, like I set goals that are really big so that I want to get up every single day and live a life that excites me. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree. You know, it's great to have this big goal. Um, 
but don't think that you need to be some crazy special person to follow your dream or the thing that you love doing. So let, let's keep talking about small, consistent actions. You brought up Tim Ferriss earlier, and one of the things that I've taken away from him, and I don't know if he came up with this, but he said something like, people overestimate what they can accomplish in a week and underestimate what they can accomplish in a year. And I think that's very, very, it goes hand in hand with this idea of small, consistent action. So continue to unpack that for me. Like for someone who's listening, like why should they care about these small, consistent actions? Yeah, 100%. So like the first thing would be, in my opinion, is that most people actually never start. Um, And the reason they never start is because they believe that, you know, in order to start, it's some huge, huge time commitment. It's a huge action that must be taken. And it's so overwhelming. Like, you want to you want to lose weight, for example, um, if you're if you're going to put yourself in a position where you really don't want to do it, you'll start th- saying things like, oh, my goodness, I need to lose 85 pounds. I need to exercise three hours every single day. And you, you put all these big pictures in your mind of all the huge things you have to do. And the end result is that you do nothing because it's so overwhelming. Uh, when in the reverse, if you were to focus on these little tangible goals, like let me walk outside listening to an audiobook for 30 minutes every morning before going to work or something small and very tangible, um, you start to build confidence and trust with yourself. And Ed Millette says this, I think on uh, Mark Metry's podcast, he said, you know, you want to build trust with yourself and you want to build confidence. The way to do that is to tell yourself you're going to do things and then follow through with doing them. And if you haven't been doing that at any point in your life, the best way to start is by small little things like I'm going to wake up today at 7 a.m. Because that's not even that early. I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m., go outside and walk for 15 minutes. And then after you do that for about a month and you build confidence with yourself, you're like, okay, now I'm going to get up at 6 and I'm going to go to the gym. And you start doing a little, something a little bit bigger. And then you say, you know what, I want to, I want to wake up at 5.30, meditate, do a cold shower, go to the gym. And you just slowly build upon the, the small little start uh, the small consistent actions that you chose to start with until it becomes these these big values and habits that you create in your life over an extended period of time. Um, and I would also say that it's not just about the small consistent action as I talk about it. And this is actually the second point of my keynote, but it's about how long you take that action for. Because, you know, say you want to lose weight again, as an example. And, you know, the small consistent action you should be taking is going on a jog or whatever it might be in your personal life. You can take the correct action for a week, but nothing will change. You can take the correct action for six months. You'll see good improvement. But unless you take this same small consistent action consistently, the second word is very important, over an extended period of time, like a year or two years, if you don't, if you're not willing to do that consistently, you won't see the results. But if you do, you will. Um, so realizing that it's also about time because time is like a little catalyst that allows the small action you take to compound. And then lastly uh the quote you mentioned by tim ferris is awesome i'd even take it even further and say people underestimate what they could do in uh 10 years and overestimate what they could do in a year you know sometimes you have to just think a little bit more long term let's talk about consistency because one thing that i know about myself is that consistency comes very very natural to me and that's why i'm kind of drawn to this idea of habit and i imagine it's similar for you Talk to me about some of the students you mentored or spoken with who ask you questions like, I'm not good at building habits or I'm not good at consistency. Like, how do I learn? Because like, let's take the losing weight, for example. Like a lot of people can motivate themselves to do it for seven straight days. But then on that eighth day, they give up because they just don't feel like doing it that day. Yeah. So I feel like the reason why most people stop um, is not necessarily because they're not motivated, but it's because their vision is way too small and unexciting. So like, for example, if I have this huge vision to look like some, some bodybuilder who's like super chiseled, 250 pounds, lean muscle. um, And I create this vision and this goal. And then I go to the gym for seven days and then I totally stop. I think the reason why most people give up is because they totally forget about their vision in the first place. Why did you even start doing this? And so I encourage everyone to like read out what it is you're trying to do every single day. And if there's a day where you wake up and you read what you want for your life and it doesn't excite you, it's time to change the vision. It's time to change what it is that you think or thought that you want. Um, Because like for me, health, like you need to create more reasons why you want to lose weight. If you just like, yeah, I want to lose weight, you're 
it's not enough. Like you need to have reasons, like a, a ton of reasons. You know, I want to lose weight because it'll make me healthy. I want to lose weight because I will look better. I want to lose weight because I will live longer. I want to lose weight so I can play with my children when I have them. I want to lose weight because I feel like crap. I smell like crap. I want to lose weight because these clothes aren't fitting me anymore. And you create like so much pain in your life. You know, Tony Robbins says we're motivated by two things, pain or pleasure. And uh, if you have that vision that excites you and you read it every single morning, you know why you're doing what you're doing. You have so many reasons to go along with it. Uh, you'll be way more likely to stick to the actions you're taking. Talk to me. What uh, What is your current vision as 20-year-old Sam who's traveling around the world speaking to so many students? What, what do you think about when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, so for me, um, I'll give you like a five-year kind of idea. So in the next five years, I will be traveling across the world because right now it's only Canada. Uh, but I'll be traveling the world speaking to millions of students specifically about how they can use their gifts and talents to make a difference in the lives of other people. I will be in a, a relationship that complements both of our lives uh, to an extreme amount. Uh, I'll be recently or um, not recently, I will be uh, frequently published on Men's Health Magazine for my aesthetics because I'm very like, I, I love the gym. I love staying fit and it's a big priority in my life right now. I will own multiple properties um, and I will be at peace with what I have, but also hungry at the same time. And then I, I want to be featured on Forbes Inc, uh, entrepreneur and be a source of wisdom and motivation for students on topics of identity, um, and also making a change or an impact and, and yeah, using what you know and have to, to make a difference in the world. Talk to me. I, I love the ambition that's coming out of your mouth. I, uh, what do you say when, you know, people say, you know, you're too young to be that ambitious or you're too young to want those kinds of things. Like what goes on in your mind when people say things like that? Dude, when someone gives me criticism, the only thing I ever think about is what went wrong in your life to give you that idea. Because here's the thing. If my dad grew up and tried to start a business when he was 40 years old and it miserably failed, like miserably failed that it caused a family hardship when he was growing up, when naturally when I'm born and my dad sees me starting a business, he would be like, Sam, this is the worst idea in your life. Do not start a business. And the only reason he's telling me that is because his past experience was that it was a terrible idea. And so whenever someone tells me I'm too young, I ask myself, okay, what did this person try to do in their past that someone told them they were too young and they didn't do it? Or what is the experience this person had that tells them that, you know, young people can't do things. Maybe they had someone in their life who was a young person who deeply disrespected them or was very irresponsible with them. And so now they have put this like big assumption on that young people can't do things. Um, when I started speaking last March, there's a man named Chris Cummins. He's a huge corporate speaker, one of my friends now. And I had a phone call with him and I told him, Chris, <clears throat> there is not enough business in the school market for me to make a living speaking to students. And Chris stopped me mid-sentence and was like, where the hell did you get that belief? Pull out your computer right now, and I want you to search up how many high schools there are in Ontario. And there was like 14,000. And then he was like, okay, how many high schools are there in Canada? And it was like 140,000. And he said, okay, that's a ton. You could speak at every single one of those schools every single day of your life, and you would die before you got to them all. Cool. That's, that's, that's interesting. Keep that in mind. And then he said, now I want you to search how many high schools there are in the States. And there was like, dude, there was an insane amount, like hundreds of thousands of high schools. And uh, he was like, okay, the case is kind of closed now because there's more than enough opportunity. And after he made that clear to me, it was like a breakthrough. And he was like, okay, now I want you to set a goal. Like how much money do you want to make this year? And I was like, you know, um, yeah, like let's do like that's 10,000. Like let's make $10,000. He's like, perfect. Write it down on paper, make it happen. That was in March. May, I did 10,000 alone of speaking to students in high schools, universities, and elementary schools. And uh, the reason I'm sharing that is not because I want to be like, oh, I'm making lots of money because I'm not making a full-time income yet. It was a great month though. Um, but it's possible. The things that we want to do are so possible. You need to set a game plan and stick to it every single day. Like I would do 20 video emails every day for a good three months. And that would take me like three hours every single day recording videos to send over email to teachers and principals and then to try and make this thing happen. And uh, when people tell me that I can't do something, 
I don't even need to explain anymore because I know the results that I've, I've been able to generate. And I'm not trying to, I'm not doing this to prove anyone wrong. Um, but when I initially started and I didn't have results because that's where everyone starts, I would literally, I would get uncomfortable because, you know, I'd start questioning, is it, maybe this person's right. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And when I was at that early stage of the game, I would just tell myself, this person is basing their opinions off of past experiences. And I don't really want to take their advice as something that's uh, realistic or tangible because it's, it's flawed. It's based off things that went wrong in their own life. I love that posture because one thing that I struggle with and a lot of my contemporaries struggle with is taking other people's opinions too seriously or putting yep. other people's opinions over one's own opinion. It sounds like to me your posture is like, oh, this person's opinion is coming from their specific experience and that has less to do with me and more to do with them. I wonder though, how do you, how do you figure out what the good advice is? Like how do you create – uh, a, a mindset where you can actually filter out what is someone else just, you know, projecting onto me versus what is actually good advice that I might want to consider. To, in my opinion, bro, it's all about the tone of the voice used and the body language when someone's telling you to do something. Um, I can instantly tell, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people can as well. When someone is, 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 is trying to give you advice, um, but it is so well-mannered. It's like, Sam, like I, I, I truly believe that this will help you in the future. And it's like coming from a place of authenticity. Now, before I take any advice, whether it's coming from a voice that's like, <clears throat> you know, Sam, you should be in school right now. What the hell are you doing with your life? That, in my opinion, is like coming from the wrong place. And I don't even want to hear it, no matter what's it about. It doesn't have to be with school or anything. Uh, it's, it's coming from like, a, like from anger. I need advice that comes from the heart and the head. And so when I hear advice that's like sounds very genuine, and very authentic, uh, I'll still screen it and think, where is this advice coming from? Why are they giving it to me? And could it actually serve me based on the way they explain it and what they think? And if so, uh, I would usually take it. And then above all those other things, when I need advice, I have like a, I have like a group of people that I rely on. So say someone gave me advice, I would run it by a mentor that I have and say, Hey, like Alvin or Hey Cody and a bunch of guys who have helped me over the past like year or so. I would just say like, Hey, Someone gave me this advice. What would you do if you were in my shoes? Because everyone always asks mentors, like, what do you think? But it, it doesn't matter what they think. You want to know what they would do when they were in your shoes. So I would ask my mentor, like, hey, someone gave me this advice. What would you do? Would you take it? Would you leave it? Why? And uh, I trust their opinions because they've helped me a ton. Um, and I don't always ask them. But when it's something big or something significant or something that's bothering me a lot, I'll definitely run it by them. So I would say... You know, first see if their advice is coming from a place of authenticity. If it is, run it through your mind. Ask yourself, why are they giving it to you? And if you still are stuck and frustrated and can't figure it out, run it by someone who you deeply trust, who has your best interest at heart. Tell me, um, and this is kind of going in a new direction, but I think it's really interesting. When, when students ask you whether or not they should go to college, what do you tell them? I ask them, what do you want to do with your life? Uh, because it, it deeply depends. So for me, I want to be a speaker and I know it. I know it. I, I am a speaker. I want to be a huge speaker. I want to be a global speaker. I know that there's no course in school that's going to teach me how to speak. I asked the world's biggest youth speaker, Josh Ship, live at one of his conferences last May. Josh, I want you to be like my dad for a minute and tell me the truth. This is what I want to do with my life. And do I need to go to school or am I wasting my time? And he looked at me and he said, Sam, as a speaker, you're wasting your time. Don't go to school unless you're trying to do X, Y, and Z. And so I never will ever tell a student, don't go to school. I think that's the worst advice you could possibly give someone because there are tons of people who could benefit from going to school and say you want to be a doctor or a dentist or an astronaut or a physicist. There's all these fields that I would argue heavily that not going to school, it's still possible, but puts you at a huge, huge disadvantage because there are certificates and things that you need to pursue these fields. Um, so it, it totally depends on what your goals are and how clear you are on making those goals a reality. And so, yeah, definitely would never come out and just say, don't go to school. It was just the correct decision for me personally. Um, and everyone else should think about what's the correct decision for them. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I stand for in terms of schooling. And let's, let's go here. Why is it so important for you to talk to high school students? 
So I'm 20 now. Um, and I figured that if I speak to high school students now, while I'm only about two years older than the graduating class or three years older than the graduating class, I have the greatest advantage to impact students now while I'm still like them and look like them and talk like them and dress like them and know all the phrases like they do. Um, so for me, it was like a twofold decision. It was like one for impact. I know I can make a difference now and I, I don't want to wait till I'm 25 because I'll be just like every other speaker. The second, um, the second reason was uh, in terms of an advantage in terms of like, this is a business side of things now. So it's like twofold business. I'm so young that all the other speakers that are contacting schools are like 28, 29, 30, 35. And then this kid comes up who's like, I'm 20. I just turned 20. I'm two years older than your graduating class. I can connect and relate to your students better than all of them can. And teachers, teachers like, yeah, he's right. And at first they might not believe me, but if they see me come in and do my work, they totally understand after it's finished and they'll tell another principal about it. So it's, it was a twofold decision. One was for impact, knowing that I'm close in age. And then two was for the advantage of uh, knowing mm -hmm. that most other speakers are a lot older than I am. And mm -hmm. oh, wait, one more thing. High school is also a crucial time period where you build like all of your values and standards and make some huge decisions about your future. And I wish growing up that I had a really positive influence or someone that I could ask questions to uh, before making some of the biggest decisions in my life. So it's a huge transitional period. And I think that the message and story I have really brings high school students to realize they can take the pressure off of their shoulders um, and then help them make the decisions that they think will, will like best benefit their futures. So when, when one of these high school students asks you, hey, I don't know what my purpose is. I have no idea what I like. What do you tell them? Eat all the food at the buffet. You probably heard this from Gary Vee if you're a big Gary Vee fan. But Gary says, you know, how do you know what foods you like if you haven't eaten them all? Like you don't. You don't know what foods you like. The only way to figure it out is to eat them all. So for example, you don't know what your purpose is. That's okay. You might not find your purpose. But what do you like doing? What brings you joy? What brings you pleasure? And then if you can't figure that out, Try new things every single day. Try something new. Get a funky job. Go like just go do some random things. Try new things and until you find something that you're like, wow, this was really fun. I love doing it. Six months ago, I discovered that I absolutely love dancing, and now I take dance last. I take dance lessons. Like I only figured that out because I embarrassed myself trying to dance with a girl at a club in Latin America. Um, so I would say like taste all the foods in the buffet, do a ton of new things that you wouldn't typically do. And you might be surprised when you find something that you actually love uh, through that experiment. And, and when you go and you talk to these students and you answer questions, what, what are you trying to leave them with? Like when, when, when you walk out of that school, if they could just remember one thing you said, what is that one thing? That they have the potential in them to not only change the world, but bring to fruition any dream, goal, or desire that they hold. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I want every student to have a whole new belief system around the things that they could possibly do in their future. And that, that, that changing, how do you know, this is, this is the real question that I would yeah. ask. How, how do you know that any one of these students can actually change the world? Any figure in history who's ever changed the world before is fundamentally no different than any other person who walks the planet. They're just a human being that decide to take relentless action, thousands of small actions. I wouldn't even say small, but it starts small. Take thousands of actions towards solving a problem that they are passionate about solving. And so if they were human and they were just like everyone else, why can't we do it? Why can't another student do it? And so I have a deep belief that it's always possible. The reason that I know uh, that the message sticks in schools and with students is by the feedback I get from teachers and staff, but also the students themselves. So I always give up my contact information at the end of every presentation, uh, imploring and asking students to literally message me with any questions they possibly have. And my, my inbox gets overflowing on Instagram with thousands of thank yous, but also like thousands of questions. And um, it's overwhelming, but it's like, it's great to see that it has an impact. But yeah, I'm going off question now. I would just definitely say that any of those people who have changed the world are no different than, than any of us. So, so why not? I want to uh, I want to get into wrap up mode. Tell me, um, where can people find you on the internet? Someone wants to book you 
a speaker, if they want to follow you on Instagram, give us yeah, so if you just search Sam Demo on Google, you'll find my website, you'll find my podcast, you'll find some news stuff and other things. My website's just samdema.com. That's S-A-M-D-E-M-M-A.com. If you want to connect with me, um, you can definitely shoot me a message on Instagram. I respond to all my DMs. It's just Sam underscore Demo, S-A-M underscore D-E-M-M-A. If you wanted to book me as a speaker, just head over to the website. Uh, but I'd be more than happy to just chat with you guys, answer questions or anything else that you have in mind. And before you go, tell me a story of some high school student. You went to speak with them. They hit you up on Instagram or LinkedIn later. And you actually saw them make uh, 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 that you actually saw them start to execute on a small, consistent action. Tell me one of those stories. Yeah, there's this kid named Andre. Uh, shout out Andre. <laughs> he uh, he's from Blythe Academy, which is a private school. I went in, spoke to his class. There was like 30 students in there, and I thought that this kid was not paying attention at all because every time I looked at him, he was looking off to the right, and it's a little overwhelming and kind of like not embarrassing, but it's a little bit frustrating when you see a student in the audience, like literally appearing like they're not paying attention. And so that presentation ended, I took a picture with the whole class, went home and there was this DM in my inbox and it was from Andre. And he basically said, Sam, this was really inspiring. This really helped me. I have a huge passion for photography. How can I use photography to make an impact? And so I started brainstorming. I was like, let me get back to you. And I gave him a bunch of ideas. And one of the ideas I said was, you know, he also told me he was passionate about homelessness. And so I sent him a message back and I was like, you know, in the city of Toronto, there's X amount of homeless people. It's a big problem. Why don't you take pictures of homeless uh, on your photography page and then go and talk to them about their stories because they're very mis misheard and underrepresented and, and people paint this picture about homeless people and post a picture of them on your page. And then in the comments, like, explain their story like here's john and boom the whole story and uh he was like yeah this is a this is a cool idea and then a week later i seen him post like five or six pictures on his photography page and when i saw it happen i was like wow you know i went in i spoke at the class and now this actually happened and he was tagging like ctv news and all these news stations to try and get some coverage and raise awareness about homelessness in the city and i'm not sure if he's still continuing it today but the fact that he took some actions um, and we still stay in touch to this day. It was very reassuring. And it was, a, it was a cool story and testament to the whole purpose why I started speaking. And how did it make you feel when you saw him post those, those photos on his photography page? It felt like it's probably the best feeling I ever had speaking. Like, I love it when students reach out and say, thank you so much. You really changed my perspective and you, 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 you change this, or you change that about me. But when you see someone actually go out and, and change their actions or even create their own project based off of your presentation, it just takes it to a whole new level. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a big day for me and I was telling my parents and I messaged him, thank you so much and all this kind of stuff. Well, Sam, I always like to end with a good story. Um, thank you so much for your time, man. Like this has not only been what I imagine very inspiring for the audience, but really, really inspiring for me. And got me thinking about a lot of the things that I want to do with my own life. So thank you for your time. No, John, this was awesome. And best of luck with everything in the future. If you ever have any questions, please reach out. I'm one message away. <laughs> Absolutely. Please enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you once again. Talk soon.